0: My name is Melanie Nevis, and today we are launching our third season, which is going to be all based around, you know, like holiday related things, holiday related myths, um, different types of festivals. We just wanted to explore all of the interesting things about um, this time of year that we haven't fully gotten to explore because, you know, we're we're both like, you know, living in modern times. And I think a lot of us just default <laughs> to Christmas. We maybe want to incorporate some yule yeah. into it, but it's hard. So today we're going to yeah. start by diving into all of this stuff. Um, and I think
1: it's, we have to specify again, like these are all western things. I'm sure there's a lot of really interesting holiday traditions that exist in other places in the world, but we're sticking to western European.
0: Yeah, we're try- we're trying to tell stories that it would make sense for us to look into um and obviously there probably are a very many interesting stories and different celebrations from all over the world, and we would invite you you know, if you come from a culture that has a really interesting story and you'd like to share it, please get in contact with us um, because uh, we would love to invite people on the show to talk about these things as we build the show, as we go further. So uh, you can always find us at the Allegory Story Podcast at gmail.com and mm-hmm. on Instagram at the Allegory Story Podcast. So we're around and we're definitely open to... Um, including other people's stories, we uh we just we'd like to hear from the voices of those cultures for that. I think <laughs> it's fair to say.
1: Yeah, definitely. We could do our research, but it's nice to have uh personal accounts and stories that are shared. Yeah. That's that's the aim. I yeah, think, when we go into stuff like that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Ideally. So, with that in mind, um this episode we're going to be talking about solstice specifically winter solstice and in particular I decided or Mel and I talked about it and we decided to start with this episode uh being winter solstice because winter solstice I realized after doing the research was a bit tricky it's kind of like an umbrella right
1: Mm -hmm. so
0: it encompasses a few things it encompasses like an actual occurrence in space and in nature and because of that occurrence pretty much society human society has been able to follow it and create cultures and create mythologies around it um so when i was like digging into it i was thinking oh wow really this kind of encompasses encompasses this time of year i guess which is approximately Mm -hmm. like in December, like mid-December mid, mid December leading up into like what we would talk about as like Christmas time. So leading up into the 25th and and maybe even continuing after that. Like we celebrate all, all, a solstice day, a winter solstice day. But ultimately, it like the time of solstice is like that time of year. Is that fair yeah. to say? Okay. Definitely. So disclaimer. It's really dark. <laughs> disclaimer, you guys. I feel like... Uh, I'm going to do my best. Okay. Like I'm not feeling fully (laughs) confident in my material today, but I'm going to, I'm going to do my best. So if I make some mistakes along the way, again, I'm happy um, to be happy to be corrected. Just don't be a dick about it and just be nice. I'll be open. So yeah, like I said, winter solstice is both a naturally occurring part of nature and a widespread cultural celebration. Um, It's something like we kind of intuitively know. And I think that really speaks a lot about the time of year as well. Like we kind of get a sense of it because... We start to think about winter when all of a sudden it gets starts to get dark really early. It gets dark so early and the light doesn't come up for so long. Days yeah, are so and far. all of a sudden, yeah, they're shorter and they're colder too. And so yeah. that's kind of like how we know that winter is coming and specifically how we know that solstice is coming. Um, but there's actually like an actual astronomical like occurrence that actually happens. Mm-hmm. So here are some general facts about solstice and winter solstice. The first general fact is that the word itself, solstice, comes from the Latin sol, which is for sun, and I think it's sistre, which is for stand. So it means the day the sun stands still. So I think that's interesting because it's used in like both summer and winter solstice, but... I guess it stands still in a different way, technically. <laughs> yeah, I think so.
1: I think that makes sense. It stands still. It's just one – at one point, it means that it's up there for a really long time and another time it's up there for very little. I don't know. It's early in the morning for me. We record this always early in the morning for me and I'm half asleep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't worry. I feel like on the same page, but I sent you a little diagram in, in, in uh, mm-hmm. the Facebook chat, not – yeah. Not not uh, to say you need to look at this, but just because I didn't know how to explain <laughs> this visual, <laughs> because scientifically solstice is when the Earth's pole, so the North Pole and the South Pole, reach their maximum tilt away from the sun. So if yeah. we're thinking. So it's interesting because if you look at that image that I sent you, you you can see where sol winter and summer solstice is, and you can see that one is tilting in one direction quite far, one in the other direction. The part where my brain started to get a bit screwy with this is when I started thinking about the fact that a solstice also depends on what hemisphere you're in. So right. We're in the northern hemisphere, so we're celebrating the winter solstice, but people in the southern hemisphere hemisphere, this is the south the summer solstice, and vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> Which was a little bit of a, a brain entanglement for me. <laughs> and it really shouldn't be, because like I know I know that, but there's something Australia's
1: about... entering their summer soon. They're stoked.
0: Yeah, well, I know. Maybe not with all the wildfires, but yeah, but anyways. Yeah, stoked. <laughs> stoked <laughs> maybe maybe not yeah i hope hopefully they're not receiving as many wildfires this year as in previous Fingers years crossed let's hope um yeah because everybody's been feeling it from like coast to coast i feel like these days
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah so um another thing sorry that kind of like took sorry me- no <laughs> it's fine <laughs> So we know we know winter solstice is the one day of the year where the daylight is the shortest, right? So you can either look at it as having the least amount of day or the most amount of night, depending on how you want to look at it, and vice versa. So the summer solstice is the one day of the year when the light is at its longest and the night is Yay. the shortest. <laughs> <laughs> so this year again, like I said, it it depends. So solstice kind of changes where, depending on where you are slightly. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. of course, if you're in, like, we just talked about the different hemispheres, so it would change a lot there, but like, even for you and I, so you're in the Eastern standard time zone in Canada and I'm in the, What is it? Like Central European time zone here in France. So uh, this year, the actual winter solstice, and I should preference this by saying it's really cool because these days you can literally like go on the Internet and type in what time is winter solstice. And it'll literally tell you like the the, down to the minute when it actually happens, like when the sun actually goes down fully, when... You know, like when the 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 night is at its peak, or or whatever. Whereas, like way back when, this is such an old part of our our history as humankind that they couldn't measure it as accurately as we can measure it now. Um, so they had like interesting tools and things that they would use to try and measure it. But for us this year, for you, it'll be December twenty first at ten twenty seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. And for me here, cool. it will be the 22nd at 4.27 Central European time. So 4.27 a.m. or p.m.? A.m. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay. That makes more sense. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. you're six hours, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So again, it kind of shifts based on what time zone you're in. And I think, honestly, if you have a North American-centric mind, like I, I tend to have, because I was like living in Canada all of my life until I moved here I didn't necessarily grasp the fact that it would slightly change a little bit like I have grasped grasped that fact but I didn't really fully sit with it and be like so when is it I th- actually I think you just you don't know?
1: think about it like you don't need to think about it why would you
0: Well I mean it is very interesting if you follow If you are really into solstice celebrations and more specifically, if you follow any type of like, um, you know, like Wicca practice, any type of witchcraft practice that we talked about in the last ones, because the timing actually,
1: um, well that matters. But I, I mean, like why, why would you pay attention to like the time zones that are not your time zone is what I mean.
0: Oh, yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. But you wouldn't. It's, But you wouldn't even think. Yeah, you wouldn't even think to check. So I'm just letting no. you guys know. Um, you might want to check depending on where you're listening from. It might be different even from our time zones, you know. So also it should be mentioned that a lot of places, especially in the Northern Hemisphere, and I got the impression this was like European Northern Hemisphere, consider solstice, uh, they call it midwinter as opposed to solstice. And there's a bit of a history as to why they call it that. Um, but ultimately it's always been a special time of year because it's so clearly marked for people. Like, even mm-hmm. if you don't know exactly what time the solstice is, it's, it's pretty, you can feel, it's something we can all feel. We can all feel the leading up to like the longest night of the year. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And also historically, humans as as a group were economically dependent on monitoring the seasons. Like when we think way, way back to kind of like, let's say, you know, it's been speculated that this event could, or tracking this event could go as far back as the Neolithic era. So like the new Stone Age era. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And because these kinds of events were often connected to to different types of things like harvest seasons and mating seasons and storage seasons. If they didn't have, you know, they didn't have the tools that we have right now, they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have the type of storage systems that we do now. So they would have to be thinking long in advance as it's getting colder, how am I going to mitigate like these animals that I have? How am I going to make sure that they they breed at the right time so we have enough food and this and that and the other thing. And all of these things were connected to this. And and because of that, it was really a way that they could mark time, which I think is really, really in- interesting. Um, I also was reading that starvation, especially in the nor- northern hemisphere, this was something people really had to think about. Because starvation, especially from the months of January to April, uh, were at its highest because obviously... <laughs> We're both from Canada. We know what how the weather is between January yeah. to April. Maybe not so yeah, much people
1: anymore, but people can't necessarily go and hunt as they normally do, and they can't take care of their livestock in the same way. Right, right. It's, exactly. everything just becomes much more difficult, and you have to ration your food. And mm-hmm. um, we forget. I think that we forget that we are animals ourselves, mm-hmm. and like. Mm. It is very much based on survival during this time of year. And there are a lot more dangers in the winter than there are in the summer.
0: Yeah, you have to really think about a lot of things and kind of, I feel like now in our modern society, we deal with more dealing with our mental health in terms of winter. But, um, yes. you know, our ancestors would have, been, would have been thinking about how to actually stay alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, 100%. Like, During midwinter, they would like hunker down, get into that vibe of the deep winter. They would know that it was around the corner. So they would oftentimes slaughter all of their livestock, meaning that winter solstice would be one of the few times where there was an abundance of fresh meat because they would enjoy some of that fresh meat, but then they would like salt a lot of it to keep over Mm -hmm. the following months coming up, the famine months, right? Mm Mm-hmm and because of all of this because of it, it you have to imagine there is very much this connection we think of it we think of winter solstice as a symbolic connection to death but it's a very could have been also a very physical connection to death for like our ancestors you know definitely i having to having to go through their livestock and just like kill everything because it's it's easier to do that than having to worry about having grains and things for them to eat through the winter to keep them alive through the winter
1: yeah you keep a a few alive to uh, let's say you might like keep a, a cow alive to like give you milk or a goat or something like that and you keep a couple just to have as a mating pair for when the spring comes around so you can kind of rebuild that population again but You need to survive. The whole point is to fatten them up through the year so that you can then
0: slaughter them. And then there's also that element of, you know, feasting because at that time they are going through and like slaughtering the animals and then having a lot of fresh meat around. It's not like it's something that's always so common. So there no, is that no, concept. it's a celebration. There is that concept of feast and abundance that's kind of connected mm-hmm. with all of it as well. And so here we land in this time of year that is really dark on one hand and has a potential for a lot of, you know, in, in the times where we feel the darkest, it's where people rely on hope the most, you know. Definitely. I mean? So there's also that element as well and when we come up to solstice we know that the longest night means like the day after that the nights are officially going to get shorter so it's looked at as like this birth period uh birthing of the sun returning and you know the Mm -hmm. sun delivers the warmth it delivers the nutrients it delivers everything to kind of like bring life back to the to to the seasonal parts of the of the world right so from that so many there's probably more than I've looked into obviously there is uh but there's so many cultures that have developed like mythologies and stories around this um we have like in the Germanic traditions and when I say Germanic I'm talking about an area that spreads from modern day Scandinavian countries into the British Isles into modern Germany at one point those would have all like quite a long time ago would have been considered Germanic tribes um, and even in other parts of Europe, they would believe that the winter solstice was when the goddess would give birth, bringing more light into the world. Um, so in Norse traditions, they would call that Mother's Night, and it's actually the first mm-hmm. night of Yule. And uh, this connect- this night of celebration is like really heavily connected to Frigga. And Frigga in the... Frigga? Frigga? I'm not sure how I'm, I'm pronouncing it right. I'm sorry. I don't know. I always, I say
1: Frigga, but I very well could be
0: mispronouncing it. Okay, if I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sorry. I don't mean to cuz she sounds like a really cool lady. But she's <laughs> obviously she's, you know, she's the she's the mother of of Norse mythology. She is like mm-hmm. the queen of Asgard and um she's often associated with this knight because she's Uh, connected to a group called the Desir I hope I'm pronouncing that right and it's a group of ancestral and abundance goddesses so like it's a group of goddesses that like all of these different cultural groups would necessarily would like kind of pray to around this time. The whole idea is the same is that they're related to them. Like it's their ancestral goddesses and their goddesses of abundance. So they bring abundance down to the people, which again really connects when you're thinking about the feasting. We just talked about the idea of the sun coming back and Mm -hmm. all of these kinds of things. In Greek mythology, we actually covered a little bit of this story um, last season when we talked about Diana. Uh, The story of Apollo's birth is said to have happened at winter solstice. And what we learned in the the episode we did on Diana, Artemis, and Aradia is that Apollo is the Greek god of the sun and light, as well as other things like archery and music and dance and truth Mm -hmm. and prophecy and healing and diseases. He's (laughs) got a
1: lot of stuff.
0: He's got a lot of stuff. Well, like he's, he's the light bringer. So the light bringer yeah, I think exactly. he's Always associated with healing and all of these things, but yeah. <laughs> archery is a funny one Anyways, um, But of course, what we talked about it in that episode, we were actually talking about his twin sister, Diana. So the story is uh, that when his mother gives birth, she's actually like cast away by Hera. Hera hates her. And she's on this island and die and first archery. Artemis, sorry, I'm conflating the two, but Artemis first is delivered into the world. Their mom gives verse birth to Artemis first and it's interesting because Artemis and Diana are connected with darkness like dark matter mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then she turns around and helps her mom deliver Apollo so helps bring the light through oh so yeah that that connection again of the darkness giving way to the light in the connection of Artemis and Apollo the these two twins in in Greek mythology So everything has balance, you know, and the same goes for Egyptian (laughs) mythology as Isis's son, Horus, who is a sun god, is also said to have been born on winter solstice. So again, we're seeing that symbolic storytelling of long nights birthing sun, birthing the new day, birthing the warmth, you know. So with that, equally, there are so many cultural celebrations and even places that are connected to solstice. Um, that's basically what this season is about, more or less. So like Saturnalia is another episode, another episode on this season we're going to cover um, the holidays of Yule, even even Christmas. They're all kind of like under this umbrella of this like death. yeah. Or birth scenario. It really depends on how you look at it, right? Because in uh, Christmas, when we're dealing with Christian lore, and <laughs> Jesus, it's like the birth
1: Don't get Christ me started on. Of yeah, but that doesn't make sense. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Listen. Don't get me started with it because realistically, it was born in the springtime because that's when there oh, yeah. are a bunch of baby baas.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of baby baas. <laughs> yeah, I think, they, I think they've think they actually traced it to like somewhere in like July, I think it's when they say he was actually born. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It, we, I think we've covered enough Don't things. Don't get me started to, on this, that. Yeah. We've covered enough <laughs> things in this podcast to know that things are layered upon things, are layered upon things. And the Christian stories are just more or less in a lot of ways, the latest renditions <laughs> of a story. But it doesn't mean Pretty that much. they're accurate. It doesn't mean that they're accurate. no, no. No. You know? So I have we to never ask for perfection. Well, you, you really can't. It's kind of impossible. <laughs> with the with the history of humanity, it's literally like it, it, it's part of my French, but it's a clusterfuck. It's just like yeah. <laughs> everything's stacked. It's crazy. So I want to make a little quick side note um, in relation to cultural events and places, because there are a couple very notable cultural places related to stonehenge um so they are neolithic and bronze age sites one is very very famous you mean solstice related to solstice
1: what did i say you said related to stonehenge and i'm like that's
0: ah i gave it away (laughs) no (laughs) okay i think i was just about to say solstice for stonehenge yeah Sorry, a lot of sites that are a few important sites connected to solstice. Oh, man, I, I really gave it away there. But yeah, Stonehenge <laughs> in England and Newgrange in Ireland. Um, these are both connected to solstice. Uh, people who have studied both places know that the main accesses of these monuments have been aligned very carefully on a site line. So like, a sight line of weird, like if this, if the horizon is flat in front of you, I think a sight line is like what you could see with your eye basically. Mm-hmm. So they've uh, built these accesses on sight lines to point to the winter solstice sunrise. So in Newgrange, it points to the winter solstice sunrise. And then um, in Stonehenge, it points to the winter solstice sunset, which I thought, was cool. pretty interesting, and so this is a side note because listen, Stonehenge is crazy, and trying to fit research into Stonehenge into this would would that's too much. No, and but, and I think we're gonna do a whole thing on Arthurian legends, and there's connections to yeah. Stonehenge and all of that. So I figure we'll just we're gonna I'm gonna leave that for another time, but it's still interesting. These places are really significant related to that. Fun
1: fact, though, yeah, New Grange is actually it's been carbon dated to be about five hundred years older than Stonehenge, and it's also older mm-hmm. than
0: the Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt. Wow, that's fascinating. We'll have to we'll have yeah, to look at fact. that. We'll have to look into that <laughs> one too. When I don't know if that will yeah. be connected to any, but I really just I don't know. It's just a fun song. fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm excited to do that season. We, we've talked about it multiple times and every time we're like, yeah, and I think we should probably. Do it. <laughs> so what I did want to talk about in relation, it's, it's very weird. I'm about to go down a wonky road and you're probably going to be giving me side eye halfway through it. I swear, <laughs> I swear, <laughs> time I, will swear tell. I swear it <laughs> makes sense. So I wanted to. So, as I was doing the research for this, obviously there are lots of feast celebrations, like we listed some of the celebrations, we listed some of the mythology, but there was one that really stood out to me as bizarre because I didn't know really anything about it. Um, but I have seen visual reference to it uh, in a bunch of art that i like so i think i've told i'm pretty sure i've told you because you were at my house last christmas (laughs) that i'm super obsessed with like with like um swedish pop music like swedish pop oh yeah dream electro stuff and i have this one there's this artist that i absolutely love and i'm just gonna use this as an excuse to plug her her name is iona lee she's amazing (laughs) and um she released this like this album a few years ago called Everybody's Afraid to be forgotten and she always does does these really cool audio visual concepts together. So with that with that album she did an entire movie. Like an hour long movie. And it's really interesting because there's a scene where she's walking through the snow and she's bound. Her hands are bound and she's wearing this like super awesome Comme des garçons outfit actually. But she's being led by these like priestly looking types. Like it looks like they're taking her to be burned somewhere. And they actually like strip her clothes and they put this white dress on her and then they put this crown on her that has all of these like tall white tapered candles around it. Oh, and it looks really cool and it looks kind of eerie, but I've seen a little bit of this reference before, but I have no idea like how in any way, shape or form it's connected. And I don't know if I mentioned that when she's in this procession, she's actually in the snow, it's the winter time. So I came across this story the fe- about the Feast of St. Lucy, and it actually is connected to, to this artist is, I'm pretty sure she's referencing the Feast of St. Lucie in that clip. Mm -hmm. Um, But I saw the candle wreath on the head and I was like, oh, okay, I have to look into this. Like, I want to know what this is about. Because it's also the connection to winter solstice and working with candles, which I think, I don't know about you, but when I think about winter solstice, I always think about the Winter Solstice Festival in Toronto that happens with the Red Pepper Arts Spectacle and that they put on in the park every year and they always do like a candlelight thing. There's lots of candlelight references when you grow up with like a Christian Catholic context. So I was trying to figure out like where the candles fucking come from. I think this is I just it. figured it would be like
1: lighting the
0: darkest night in the year, but obviously there's more to it. No, I think I think honestly that is kind of it. But there's yeah. a there's a little bit more to it that's interesting. So um Tell the story, tell the story. Okay, so this is about <laughs> the feast of Saint Lu- Lucy or Sancta Lucia, as they say mm-hmm. in the Scandinavian areas, right? So her feast day is December 13th. So we know that that's like a little bit before our solstice now. Um, her so-, so here's the thing. I don't recall ever knowing about this holiday or somehow it didn't click with me when I was growing up Catholic. But it's really predominantly celebrated in, in, the, in Italy, in the Scandinavian countries all of them. And also sometimes in England, it's kind of celebrated mostly there. So this is her rough backstory. Okay. So St. Lucy is actually the patron saint of blindness, which Hmm. I already see symbolism in that related to darkness and seeing your way through darkness. Okay. Yeah. So just for context, this is a Christian story. It's taking place in pre-Christian Italy. So like in the time where uh, like Roman Empire exists, still quite, it's pagan centric at that time. Um, mm-hmm. Christians haven't taken over yet and Christians are getting persecuted there at the time. Right. So she was actually born, St. Lucy was born in Sicily. And the story goes that she came from a wealthy family, similar to Mary Magdalene. She denounces all of her wealth for God, and she kind of wants to give up everything and just follow God, follow Jesus, basically. Um, Lucy's mother, though, is sick. And she's sick and she's worried that she's going to die and her daughter isn't going to have any security. So her mother tries to go and arrange a marriage for her, but she arranges a marriage to a a pagan man. Mm -hmm. Um, So Lucy is very worried for her mother. I don't think she wants to get married either, but she's more worried about her mother living. So she prays to a saint, (laughs) a different saint, St. Agatha who has already been venerated as saint for many, many years before this. And Agatha answers her prayers and heals her mother and her mother is no longer sick. And because Agatha answers her prayers, Lucy kind of convinces her mother to let her take her dowry for her marriage and distribute it amongst the poor and help the poor. Okay. So That's generous. Yeah. She's, you yeah. know, I, Christian mythology is cool in its own way. <laughs> it's yeah, weird, it's a lot of
1: donating what you have to the poor. A lot which, of Franciscan monks and Benedictine monks and stuff did that. Which is
0: interesting when you think about the church. But good on the saints trying <laughs> yeah, to do the right that's thing. That's a whole anyway. other thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so she ends up distributing her her wealth, her dowry essentially, to mm-hmm. people that need it. And then... Basically, when her suitor finds out the man that's supposed to... This is where the story gets dark. When he finds out that she has done this, he's really angry. And because of this, he wants her persecuted. So he goes and tells the governor at the time, which is pagan, he tells her that she's a Christian. And because she's a Christian, the pagan governor sentences her to be sent to a brothel to be defiled okay hold on hold on hold
1: on so there's no it's just it's still it's still like i'm gonna believe you gotta gotta gonna believe him (laughs) and not talk to her at all oh yeah you're just automatically gonna take his word over hers
0: well yeah i think they're just pissed that she gave the money away and maybe pissed that they get she may have given the money away to a cause they're not they don't want supported so
1: Gosh darn it a woman making her own mind yeah but herself? the part, the
0: fuck the fuckery of it is that she her sentencing is to be raped yeah that's so fucked up <laughs> like she that's has to so go to up. a brothel and like be defiled by like who like the people at the brothel the soldiers or whatever like that's that's how so they So they're to still punish they're, her. they're just like
1: that's how they want to punish her but it's also very presumptuous to just assume that she hadn't already had sex. So
0: one of the things I should say is that when she, I didn't really specify it before, but she is kind of noted as being like a virgin. Okay. And when she says that she wants to give up all of her, all of her wealth and, and, you know, kind of just follow God. She just wants to keep her, she almost think of her as like an early stage nun, right? Like she just wanted to like, yeah, yeah. She God.
1: wants to be married to, okay. So, and just to be clear, cause you mentioned that she wanted to follow Jesus, but like,
0: yeah, sorry. I, time, Je- I know this, I said it and I was like, eh, it's not really Jesus. Okay.
1: Cause I was just like, this is still pre Jesus, right? Also, Jesus um, was Jewish. I'm
0: actually not sure. Christianity
1: came after.
0: I'm pretty sure it's, before that but i'm not 100 i could be wrong okay um but i do think it's because yeah i think it's or it might be in the time of jesus but like jesus wouldn't have been as known yet i'm not really sure i'm not sure
1: it must have been well no now we're talking this out it must have been after because christianity was now we're jesus. talking sorry
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh god oh, again god. it is I'm- morning
0: I try not to dive into timelines too deep on this one, but I do dive really deeply into the timelines of things in in a lot of the other episodes and Saturnalia and stuff. But for this one, I was just like, I'm feeling too overwhelmed by the timelines. So I'm not 100% sure. Um, But anyways, uh, so anyways, she's sentenced to be defiled, which makes me just cringe. The fact that I even had to write that down upset me today. Um, Yeah. So... But what happens is this is why she's venerated as a saint, okay? So what happens is the guards show up to the brothel. And I don't it's unclear to me whether it was the guards that were meant to defile her or they were to bring her there or whatever. But either way, they're not
1: complacent.
0: I think they were meant to bring her to the brothel. But the thing is is that she can she's unmovable. They're unable to move her for some reason. Okay. So because they're unable to move her, they all go and they tell the governor. And now the governor's really pissed off. So he says, okay, fine. Light her up. She's now, she's going to die. So they, yeah. So they put Not all, good. no. So they stack all this wood around her and they're going to burn her alive and they go to burn her alive and the wood won't light, like she won't burn or or the wood lights and it burns and she's not burning inside of it like that's very mm-hmm. christian yeah so i'm sure that's what it was she's like, <laughs> she's just like not burning in there you know what i mean so then <laughs> they're even more pissed off and then they're like and then finally he's like fine gouge her eyes out and just kill her so the guard or the the soldiers they end up gouging her eyes out and then they stab her in the throat with a sword hmm. Yeah, it's very gruesome. It's very, very mm. gruesome. So all this to it. say, this this is why, so, okay, wait, I'm jumping ahead then. that. So uh, they stab her in the, in the throat and then she really dies because like, you just, you can't really. <laughs> yeah, you can't
1: really get around that, can like, you? Not get
0: stabbed in the throat, you know? So yeah. she dies and when they go to prepare her body for burial, her eyes are still there. Oh and this is actually where she becomes the patron saint of blindness so somehow somehow her eyes have been magically restored back into her body even though they were gouged out so if you ever see um a saint a female saint with like long flowing hair in a church and she has a um a plate in her hand with eyeballs on it and a palm in her other hand, that's usually Saint Lucy. That's kind of how she's. How many
1: eyeballs are on the has, plate? Uh, a
0: lot of usually.
1: That. Okay, I'm like two. Okay. two. Just just yeah. her two. Okay, it's just two. <laughs> <laughs>
0: just two symbolic eyes. Like she has eyes in her head, she's and then scares. she's also got cool. eyes on the plate. Yeah. I, I, does she have four <laughs> eyes? We we don't know. <laughs> that could probably lead into the other into the other which kind of idea too, if <laughs> we're not being careful. But there's also, so that is like her main legend. And then there's another story about her um, where it said that she's actually helping Christians that were hiding in the catacombs in Italy. And in order to bring them in as many supplies as she possibly could, she puts a wreath on her head with a bunch of white, um, tapered candles in it so that she can carry all of the supplies that she needs and still Hmm. see her way through the catacombs. And this is kind of where the connection, um, comes in when we're talking about like the, the Scandinavian traditions, but it's interesting. Like how does all of that actually connect to winter solstice? Yeah. Sorry, but it doesn't, you don't really see where the connection is clearly. Right. So when Christians go to the Scandinavian countries to evangelize them, um, like side note, if any of you guys have ever watched Vikings, that's what <laughs> the guy in the first season is doing there. He's trying to like change everybody yeah. to Christian and they're so not into it. So when they go, when they start going to these countries and trying to evangelize them to follow the word of, god or christ or whatever um they come with this story of lucy and her date her day of feasting is already connected to the 13th of december now we have to go back to this thing we talk about it in the saturnalia episode as well the julian Mm -hmm. calendar versus the gregorian calendar currently right now we are in the gregorian calendar but the julian calendar was used for a long time prior to this so in that time they were still using that mm-hmm. reference the the Julian calendar maybe they had a different calendar I'm not sure but the dates were still the same so at that time winter solstice would have been December 13th and if you want to understand a bit more about uh those calendars and how they work we go into it fully in the Saturnalia episode in this uh season so you can listen to that to see what that's all about. But basically, technically, that would have been their solstice. And for them, the idea of this woman, you know, going into the darkness with this wreath of crown, this wreath on of light and uh, candles on her head, uh, also very much had similar symbology to what they believed in terms of like their, their, the Norse beliefs of uh, like, you know, the goddesses, birthing light back into the world. It kind of, it kind of connected. So did they, again, we always come into that question. Did they make this story Mm -hmm. to fit the narrative of the people they were trying to evangelize or were there just similarities? It's all speculation. We'll never really know, but (laughs) probably both. (laughs) Let's just say both, but that's kind of how they're connected. So in many of the, obviously there's a whole bunch of different countries in like the Scandinavian part of the world. And, but in most of them, she is depicted as wearing this wreath of white candles. And she's also wearing a white gown that signifies like a baptismal gown. And in some of those countries, she's wearing a red sash and the red sash uh, is symbolic of her martyrdom. The fact that she died for God. Um, it's interesting because in parts, in like places like Norway, Denmark, and Sweden, and parts of fin- Finland, they actually do full on, like this is a big festival, and g- all of the girls mm-hmm. dress up like St. Lucy, and they all walk around in these processions, and they carry these saffron bu- buns, like saffron is, yeah, you, yeah. you know, the, the spice of saffron, right? Um do you know where that comes from, side note? Um, I Do you think know it, what plant it comes it's from? A,
1: it's a crocus. Yeah.
0: yeah. So cool. Hmm. Anyway, so yeah, so they built these saffron buns, saffron has this like bright orangey-yellow color. It's also connected to light and the buns are connected to God. So it's also connected to bringing in Christ's light by sharing these like saffron buns and doing this <laughs> big pr- procession. But it's, and then also apparently boys can take part in this, procession by de- dressing up as other kind of characters from similar stories from around the same time but the men version or like dressing up like Santa Clauses or whatever but this is kind of like how they part of how they celebrate and then they also do the processions with candles nice. okay as part of that too and like it's like what you said it's that idea of like bringing uh the light through the darkness mm-hmm. into the to the day where the where we're going to see the the sun coming back around and longer um, and lasting longer. So yeah, that is, that's essentially the story of St. Lucia, but I thought it was really interesting because um, I've seen depictions of this, but I never really knew what it was about. I
1: never really noticed depictions of it, but I'm going to look for it moving forward. Like, do you, is this something, is she depicted in, a lot of churches, do you think? Or is it commonly more so in Italy or in France or like?
0: So, yeah, what I'm understanding is that she has churches. From what I understand, she has churches in Italy, but specifically Northern Italy and specifically Sicily. Uh-huh. Okay. So that's where she was actually from. And then also there are churches dedicated to her in England. And then again, I think I think it's kind of like a more I think where they celebrate it the most is kind of in the Nordic Scandinavian right, okay. parts, and that might be why uh, why we don't see so like I see a lot of depictions because I have a bizarre interest. Like I'm just like very interested in like Swedish culture and Finnish culture, and like I watch ton- like at Christmas time I watch like Finnish and Swedish and Norwegian like TV shows and like yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So <laughs> actually. I think that's why I've come across it. You know what I mean? It's not like super common for us. I don't
1: There think. is this one show that I watched for Christmas last year. What's the name of it? It's called Home for Christmas. And yeah. yeah it's, it's really really good. really good. Um and I I've
0: been waiting. I've been waiting for another season of this for like
1: It's Norwegian. Long. Yeah, it's Norwegian. And yeah, it's yeah, it's actually a really check, good yeah. show. It's really interesting. It's I watched good. it too and then afterwards I started looking into the differences in date culture in like Norwegian countries mm. and and like Nordic countries mm. versus other places in the world and like or more westernized dating culture and it's just so fascinating. I found like a ton of scholarly articles on it actually on how the dating culture differs, which is really really fascinating. Mm. That and I would never have looked into it if it wasn't for that show which is yeah it's really yeah
0: that's a really it's honestly one of my favorite Christmas shows to be honest with you Uh, I think it came out uh the year before COVID and then because of COVID they there was a year where they didn't have another season and then a season came out and I was like (laughs) waiting with like bated breath because I really really like this show and then there was like it seems like there's one every other year, so like I'm keeping my fingers crossed that this year we're gonna get like the fi- at least the final season to figure out like what happened with. Her I mean, and, like, I it, it also like did. the way it left
1: off last season is kind of it kind of just like it could be it.
0: I know, but I hope it's not. I'm like really invested in that show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's really good. It does give you like those classic kind of Christmas vibes. I think um, in relation to St. Lucy, you see from what I understood from the reading that I did, and like I said, I'm not like extensively versed on it, but from what I understood, it's really, really big in Sweden. And I know it's Mm -hmm. also popular in the other places, but how popular I'm not so sure. So I know that the big, Mm -hmm. apparently in Sweden, they even do a thing where they elect a St. Lucy or they elect a Lucy and this Lucy like goes around to like balls and parades and like, does like a whole, whole, it's like a really, it's a really big thing. Um, That's cool. So it's interesting. And it's, it's a cool, I mean, like it's a cool saint to, to kind of like, if you're going to go venerate a saint right now, I guess that's a cool one to do. Um, She seems pretty interesting, but also I think uh, it feel it it somehow circles back around to feeling less Christian and more pagan in some way. I don't know. (laughs)
1: I mean, <laughs> well, it seems like it was someone that was that's kind just of. That's the way it feels mm-hmm. to me, anyway. At one point, Christians weren't the majority, right? They were the minority and they were persecuted, and then pagans later became persecuted. Right. So maybe that's the connection where, because right. she was persecuted, it seems like it would fall in line with more of a pagan tradition. I don't know. Maybe.
0: Well, it, you see it all the time. And you see it even now, like, in mod- I know many people that are part of modern, like living here, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. that are part of modern day, like saint cults, essentially. And mm-hmm. I don't say cults in the American sense, I say that, say it kind of like yeah. in the European sense, yeah. where they're, they're like devotees of specific saints. You know what I mean? And that's, that's really big here in France, but it has way more of a, a pagan undertone than it does a Christian undertone. So like Mary Magdalene's a really classic, like probably the most famous example of that. And this mm-hmm. like the priestess hood of the rose and all of that kind of stuff there are a whole bunch of women that like study this kind of like esoteric mysticism around mary magdalene and they kind of like worship her and they take all of the symbology from her but it's not really related to the church even though technically if you wanted to say she belonged to something you would say she belonged to the, the to the church but they see her as her own their her own person and even the places in France that are dedicated to her are places where other pagan goddesses would have been before. So it kind Mm -hmm. of becomes that whole conversation around masking and, you know, it's just the, it's just what's, what's, um, what connects at the time. And right now we're kind of in that choose your own adventure phase of (laughs) spirituality. (laughs) it's a good way to put it actually so yeah that is that's kind of it you know that's winter solstice in in a nutshell I'm pretty sure there's (laughs) there's I'm pretty sure we could explore a lot lot more things but that we would be here way way too long (laughs) yeah yeah but I hope that helps to clarify because I know for a long time I've had a general idea but didn't really wasn't able to put it together and the bright side about it is if you are not if you don't consider yourself spiritual or religious in any particular way, you can still celebrate winter solstice and be like Mm -hmm. completely above board because you can just really go towards like the whole cycle of like nature and change. And if you're feeling that, you know, like go that route.
1: Yeah. It's, it's really at its core. It's just all about the seasonality. And then we've added a bunch of other shit on top of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we've added so much human emotion into it, right? Because like we can feel things as like the darkness kind of rolls in, you know, like if you're connected a little bit, even a little bit, you can feel like that energy, right? So all the rest, but that's like everything, all the rest is human speculation, (laughs)
1: Yeah, we do that. We're we're creatures that tend to do that. We do
0: it. We like it. We like to talk about it. And that's why this uh, podcast exists. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everybody, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this exploration into solstice. And we invite you to stick around to check out some of the other things we'll be talking about in this season as well. And um, if you're listening to this, just as we've posted it, even if you're not, um, we hope you have a wonderful solstice season, whatever you choose to celebrate, whatever you yeah. will, however you do the things that you do, we hope you do them, um, with a lot of comfort in darkness and it's okay. And there's always candles.
1: You got there. I was like, Yay. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I was like, you're like, you're going, going you okay.
0: but anyways.
1: Point sticks. Have an awesome solstice. Yeah, that's
0: it. Bye. And we'll see you next time.